Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Bernie didn't have to acquiesce. And Bernie could have made it clear that if you treat me that way, you know, one of the moments in the Republican stage, which was very interesting, if you remember, they said to Trump early in the process on the stage, do you promise that if you do not win the nomination, that you will support the Republican candidate? Do you remember his answer? His answer was, it depends on how you guys treat me. You look back at that and think that's exactly what the answer should be. So if I was someone doing that, that would be my answer. It depends on how you guys treat me. Political parties are not even mentioned in the Constitution. George Washington warned us against them in his farewell address. John Adams said that they represented the greatest threat to democracy. This idea that they get to be the gatekeepers they are, when in court the Democratic Party uh, argued that they don't owe it to people to let the person who got the most votes win. We have to call the duopolistic system on what it is. And let's remember, the duopoly is actually a monopoly. You know, we talk like how divided we are. They are not all that divided because the bottom line is the military-industrial complex will get what they want. On that, we are not divided. Uh, Oil companies, more than not, more than not, will continue to do what they want to do. On that, we are not divided. Big pharmaceutical companies will continue to obstruct any chance of universal health care. On that, we are not divided. They divide us so that we don't recognize how undivided they are in some very essential ways. This week on Forward, Marianne Williamson joins us to talk the future of the country, the Democratic Party, politics. Marianne Williamson, one of my favorite people from the presidential trail in 2020. And now it is my pleasure, privilege, and honor to welcome to the podcast my good friend, philosopher, author, political leader, and fellow 2020 presidential candidate, Marianne Williamson. Marianne, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's my privilege and honor to be here. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, are you kidding? No, actually. I'm making an appearance here means, means a lot to me, so thank you. So the main question on everyone's mind is, what the heck are we going to do? Like, what when I say we... Uh, what you'd referred to as conscious humans. <laughs> What's like oh, the plan 
for conscious humans. And you and I haven't sat down since really over the last, I guess it's been over a year since we even had a podcast conversation. So one, what the heck are we going to do? And number two, what have you been doing? <laughs> so let's start with number one. Um, Americans are very good with a to-do list. We like to be told this is what we need to do. And then we're very good at doing it. You can look at World War II, um, uh, the Nazis, the uh, Japanese imperialistic army were like operable tumors. And what we needed to do was surgically remove them. Everybody knew what we needed to do, and that generation brilliantly did it. This is more like cancer that is already metastasized. Invasive surgery doesn't necessarily make things better, in some ways makes it worse. The cancer is wrapped around some healthy organs, so you have to be careful not to hurt the healthy organ while you're trying to get the bad stuff. So we are being challenged to a level of deep analysis that I think we are, are as capable of as individuals as anyone else is, <laughs> but which collectively is not what we're known for. And so we're all in this moment of realizing that we're going to have to do some deep thinking and deep analysis and deep looking in the mirror and deep reckoning, a, a willingness to think outside the box before we're going to have any serious knowledge of number one, what to do, and number two, are the people who are capable of doing it. And that's where I think we are. We all know what we need to do. The status quo will not disrupt itself. We need to turn around a very large ship. And that ship has been in the water for 40 years. Republicans started it. No Democratic president stopped it. It's a massive transfer of wealth. And, uh, and other resources of power into the hands of very few Americans to the point where corporations rule the world, to the point where a corporate aristocracy has pretty much a chokehold on Congress and apparently the White House as well. It's a system of legalized bribery, blah, blah, blah. We all kind of get that now. The issue is how do we turn that ship around? The question, which you and I have talked about extensively and which you've talked about publicly extensively based on what you're doing now, do you try to transform things within the Democratic Party? Do you go in something like what you're doing with the forward party? You and I know from our own experience, the world saw what they did to Bernie. We know, you and I know viscerally <laughs> yeah, how locked do. up they have it, how vicious they are, how much the establishment elite within the Democratic Party, the corporatist elite, um, has no intention of letting anyone who's not already in their club and you're not in it, like George Carlin would say. They don't want anyone not already in their club who's not already articulating their preordained agenda. And they, what, what is that first, they they ignore you, then they mock you, you know, they then they you. fight you. Well, theoretically, then you win. But then on the yeah. other hand, you have the third party concern. A lot of people are just so predisposed to thinking of the very phrase third party peripheral. You're only trying to influence the conversation. For me, that's difficult, Andrew, because we need to do more than influence these people. We need to replace these people. Uh, you know, we need to do more than influence the conversation. It's too late to just influence the conversation. And for that matter, the conversation is already where it needs to be. The American people get it. The majority of the American people want Medicare for all. The majority of the American people want to transfer, uh, uh, want to, ha uh, uh, 
eradicate the college loan debt. The majority of the American people want a raise in the minimum wage. The problem is not the conversation. The problem is the way the two-party corporate-dominated duopoly obstructs democracy itself. Oh, yeah. I, I said not that long ago is uh, I thought the problem used to be that people didn't understand universal basic income, for example. No, they get it. Uh, but now uh, I believe the problem is that our government does not actually respond to us. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's, that's it. A, that's a reasonable summary of the problem. That is a reasonable summary of the problem. And I think the American people have been casting about for some kind of change for the better part of the last couple decades, really. Yeah. Yeah. And if you rewind to the presidentials and the presidential election, we, we dig into this, has a unique place in the people's hunger for change. Yeah. Because it turns out that you're more likely to see something new in the presidential than you are uh, in local races in, in many cases because the local races are easier to suppress. Presidential, you and I just sort of burst on the scene. In 08, Barack Obama's victory was definitely a change vote. And then in 2016, I thought that Bernie's nearly successful run against Hillary was a change campaign. I think he was the man for the moment. And I recently tweeted something where, you know, I thought the DNC um, was biased towards Hillary. And, you know, people have their own opinions about that. I thought that was fairly objective and established, but whatever. Um, I think even Trump's victory in 16 could be interpreted as a vote for change. And then interestingly enough, I feel like Joe Biden's uh, victory in, in 2020 was also a change vote because it was like a change from Trump railing around. So you have the American people trying to grab hold of something. Um, and then that's getting framed in a particular way by the media by separating us into these two ideological camps. Uh, and I, I do remember so many uh, people supporting Bernie at every point in the, the political spectrum. And it's like, oh, why is it these conservatives are supporting the quote-unquote socialist. And so because they can sense that he's genuine and unbought and wants to make changes for the American people. And that's what a lot of Americans have wanted, really. Um, it's only when the, the media says, like, no, no, you can't vote for that person because they're on the other side. Would you agree with that, General? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it bears analysis how all of that went down. And I think it goes all the way back to 2000. Um, the American people did vote for Al Gore, actually. Not that that was at that time so much of a change. Actually, George Bush represented the change, but a change in a completely opposite right-wing direction. Um, you're right that Obama was a vote for change, but once he got in office, there was a bait and switch. Uh, There's been a lot of uh, frustration in the quest for change. <laughs> uh, I, th I think we need to be a little more blunt, a little more clear. Uh, not more cynical, but uh, more realistic with ourselves. He was given a profound mandate for change. And once he got into the White House, he became pretty much of a corporate guy. And uh, you're right that when Hillary Clinton said, let's continue the, with the successes we've had the last eight years with Obama, millions of people said the last eight years, lady, what success? I'm drowning here. And I think you're right. For many people who voted for Trump, it was a, a desire for change. He turned out to be beyond false prophet. If anybody fortified the corporatist agenda, he did. Yep. And then Bernie. So I agree with what you said in your tweet, and I responded as such. And I think that the suppression of the Bernie campaign, which is factual, by the way, there's no opinion here, um, during the um, 2016, and then again in many ways, uh, in the 20, shows where the hold that the elite corporatist Democrats have had 
on the Democratic Party and on the democratic process within it. You know, I mean, that's that that's who they are. Uh, it's this political media industrial complex. Uh, they are headquartered in both major parties. Um, if you read Matt Taibbi's book, Hate, Inc., you know, I was saying on Fox the other day, Fox does it, CNN, MSNBC does it. They say, look over there. If you're a, if you're a conservative, look at the liberals and the progressives. They're your enemy. If you're a progressive or a, a liberal, look at the conservatives. They're your enemy because none of them want you to look at who's really suppressing this thing, which is the major corporate aristocracy, which is head, headquartered in both major parties. So... What do we do? Once again, I think, you know, one of my favorite books is Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet. And in that book, he says, when you don't know the answer to a question, when you don't know the answer yet, live with the question. And I think, obviously, you were led to form the forward party. The very fact that you have formed it is now factoring in, I know from me and many people I know, into the inquiry, because we've seen what happens to people who try to bore from within um, in the Democratic Party. It's um, each of us is just going to have to follow our own hearts on this. But I think this will be a year. This has to be the year when a lot of us get clearer about what role we can best play. Now, the the Democratic Party. There's certainly a very significant uh, element of the party that uh, is in cahoots with various companies, uh, very resistant to change, very dubious of someone who seems populist coming up um, on their side. That was the point of my tweet, which is, hey, the Democratic Party seems anti-democratic sometimes, where... It's like the people are behind this person. It's like, no, 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 nothing to see here. You're not actually <laughs> right, for this person. Right, because they can't self-fund and all that. The Democratic Party uh, has become the party of the establishment in its own way. Mm -hmm. And the Republican Party is, has taken on this anti-institutionalist fervor, which I disagree with. And Trump, I think, is a terrible uh, leader and, and would be an awful – it would be even worse of a president the second time yes, he uh, would. if he were to come – and that's, you know, very – strong statement. And the Democratic Party seems like it's fighting reform efforts on one side uh, of itself, really. Like there, there is what people label as the progressive wing. I try not to think of things ideologically. Um, I agree with the majority of the goals that you cited and the, that the majority of people want them. Uh, that well, that's just poll after poll after that's poll. That's just polls. It's numbers, yeah. you know. And, <clears throat> and I know, too, if you talk to a conservative Republican in the Midwest and you say, hey, you want to stick to the drug companies? I'll be like, yeah. They're out there being like, oh, you know, love the drug companies. So the trick, in my view, is to try to change the framing from left versus right, which you have said this is not the right framing. No. Um, the right framing is the people versus. Yeah. It's the, the powerful versus power. the powerless. The left-right polarity is just a cartoon version of the political divide in this country that was created by the real oppressors to keep people looking at each other rather than, you know, once again, don't look up, right? This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep 
lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So let's say I totally agree with you that the left-right thing is being pushed onto the people as a way to divide us and distract us. Right. Your fellow citizen is not your enemy. Right. They just want you to think your fellow citizen is your enemy. Yes. Polarization now is rising and rising on both sides, where 42% of both them, Democrats and Republicans, think the other side is uh, evil, morally bankrupt, uh, you know, threat to the country, that sort of thing. Um, and so one reason I started the Forward Party is because I think that this polarization is going to lead us to violence, uh, unrest uh, over time, um, and that if you could frame it as uh, the people versus the establishment or something along those lines, you could bring people together. Uh, the Forward Party uh, is trying to send the message you just articulated, which is that other Americans are not your enemy. Um, unfortunately, right now, you have billions of dollars in media and um, other incentives trying to, to pit us against each other. So uh, I have an approach that I'm enjoying, which is say, look, you have these two camps that are, are so somewhat artificial. And like, you know, the, the average person who's not super engaged actually is, you know, like, and, and I, I'm proud to say that I reached some people who weren't po politically activated um, previously, um, that if you find someone who's non-ideological, then a, a lot of common sense is very, very widespread. Like the common sense actually diminishes the, the more politically activated you get uh, uh, in, in many of the conversations I've had. Um, but if you want to try and change this dynamic, you need to have a third party. Um, and then you would want a different dynamic in the media because right now you have the Democratic aligned media and the Republican media. So you would need independent voices to come up that represent something distinct from either. So that's the project I'm embarking on. The alternate version of this for someone uh, who has some of the same goals that you articulated would be to try and transform the Democratic Party. And the chief way people see to quote unquote transform the Democratic Party would be to run for president, uh, let's say in a Democratic nomination process, the way you and I both did just in this last cycle. Yes, we do. Now, there are a couple of problems with that. Um, one being that the Democratic Party is going to be very unfriendly to candidates who are trying to transform much of anything. And I'm going to say that's approximately 100 times more true in this upcoming cycle. I agree, because we were inconvenient last time, and they're not even, they don't even want us on the first debate stage this time. 
I'm not even sure there will be a debate stage. That's an interesting way to look at it as well. Right. So, so there was an article that came out that you were quoted in that asked whether someone was going to primary Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. um, and you said categorically, yes, someone will, because yeah. the people want that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I believe that if someone did primary Joe Biden, there's a certain level of support that they would get pretty quickly because there are any number of people that want bigger set of changes than, than they're getting or Joe was never their candidate or, you know, what have you. I also think that the deck is going to be stacked against anyone who decides to challenge Joe and that even the people who are considered progressives who are, let's say, in Congress right now, that they are not going to undertake this uh, because the pressure will be too great. And so... As someone who is on record saying, hey, I totally think someone's going to challenge Joe. First, who do you think might undertake this challenge? Uh, and then second, um, what do you think about the fact that I'm sure the deck is going to be stacked against that person or a set of people? <clears throat> it could be more than one, one person. Well, first of all, we don't know for sure whether the president will run again. That's number one. Uh, a lot of the people that you say will not step forward if he does run again might make a different decision if he's not running again. Oh, if he's not running, everyone comes out. <laughs> I think right now they're making clear that there are two main choices. They, meaning the elite establishment within the Democratic Party, they are clearly in love with Pete and Amy, right? My analysis of how the elite Democrats would act towards a real progressive running is exactly as yours. But I've heard a lot of people talk about how Bernie didn't have to acquiesce. And Bernie could have made it clear that if you treat me that way, you know, one of the moments in the Republican stage, which was very interesting, if you remember, they said to Trump early in the process on the stage, do you promise that if you do not win the nomination, that you will support the Republican candidate? Do you remember his answer? His answer was, it depends on how you guys treat me. You look back at that and think that's exactly what the answer should be. So if I was someone doing that, that would be my answer. It depends on how you guys treat me. Political parties are not even mentioned in the Constitution. George Washington warned us against them in his farewell address. John Adams said that they represented the greatest threat to democracy. This idea that they get to be the gatekeepers they are, when in court the Democratic Party uh, argued that they don't owe it to people to let the person who got the most votes win. We have to call the duopolistic system on what it is. And let's remember, the duopoly is actually a monopoly. You know, we talk like how divided we are. They are not all that divided because the bottom line is the military industrial complex will get what they want. On that, we are not divided. Uh, oil companies, more than not, more than not, will continue to do what they want to do. On that, we are not divided. Big pharmaceutical companies will continue to obstruct any chance of universal health care. On that, we are not divided. They divide us so that we don't recognize how undivided they are in some very essential ways. If you accept this is the set of issues, and then you say option one, run as uh progressive in the Democratic primary and transform the party. And, then and don't pretend that the Democratic Party is any different than it is, that you make part of your campaign to point out that the Democratic Party, as Bernie Sanders has been saying, has strayed from its traditional role of, of true champion of the working people of the United States. If it continues to be this basically corporatist uh, machinery, it will not have a chance to beat Donald Trump. Have you seen some of the commentary 
uh, that Bernie should have started a third party. I guess people are but suggesting that's, yes, that. Yes, in... that's what people are saying. People are saying he shouldn't have stopped. That when they when they suppressed him both times, he should have said, well, I'm keeping on walking because I'm running for president. And I'm not going to be stopped. I'm supported by the American people. This isn't about whether or not the Democratic Party is giving me permission. I mean, he's not even a Democrat, technically. So, so why should he so allow... there's nothing stopping him from doing it. If you think about people that could have started a successful third party over this recent number of years, Bernie's at the top of the list. Oh, absolutely. And many people's frustration with him is that he didn't just keep walking. Um, that's not criticism, it's just, as, as I said, frustration. The question I think people have for you is, number one, whether you'll be able to garner enough money to really um, make the difference that you'd like to make. Uh, number two, whether or not there will be enough diversity. You know what third parties have done, and that's part of the problem, even calling it a third party. Um, what they've done traditionally is that they've just kind of anointed a candidate. My hope for the forward party would be that you'd have a lot of really good people running, um, including for president. So that, you know, a friend of mine was saying the other day, you know, if the forward party gets a lot of really good people from diverse political places running, their debate will be the more interesting one that people will want to watch in 2024. Because the, if the president runs again, I think it's, if there is even a debate at that point, but people, the Democratic Party has become so yada, yada, yada. I think of the Republican Party as representing a nosedive for our democracy, and I think of the Democratic Party as representing a managed decline for our democracy, and neither one of them. They represent such a solid status quo, it is not going to interrupt itself. It, this is going to take an intervention uh, by the American people. I like the idea of uh, rejuvenation, and I also love the idea of having an independent nomination process for the forward party uh, where anyone can participate. And you can imagine that primary being fascinating because- uh, because <laughs> You'll have there, hundreds of people running, if not more. Well, there'd, there'd be so many people too um, that would realize that they'd get a fairer shake uh, outside of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party uh, so the Republican Party, just a quick, you know, like synopsis of how that's going to go down. <laughs> so you'll have Trump running. Um, he'll be running against uh, generally some second tier types who feel they have no choice but to run against Trump and hope something breaks their way. Um, so it's going to be Mike Pence, maybe Mike Pompeo, Pompeo. Chris Christie. Nikki Haley. Um, I think Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley has already publicly said she doesn't run against Trump. Um, so she's uh, taking herself out if Trump is there. Ron DeSantis has privately said he will not run against Trump if Trump is there. Um, so that's one reason I'm saying that. Either he's one of those the, could be his VP candidate. That's part of it. And so and they're also on the younger side. They're like, yeah, I'll sit out one cycle and then just come back around. Whereas if they go against Trump, then it could be a career destroyer, destroyer because uh, a lot of the base of the Republican Party could turn on them in a lasting way. So that's one reason why Trump's opposition will likely be the relatively uh, less strong candidates. The strongest candidate that seems poised to run against him, in my opinion, is Larry Hogan of Maryland, who's termed no, out. No, because he would be more the, yeah, Youngkin, yeah. Let, let's say you were um, an independent human who wanted to run for president. If you tried to insert yourself into the Republican primary, you're not going to get a real shot, given that Trump will be taking up all the oxygen, there'll be some other figures. <laughs>
This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. So let's say Joe is running again. I think the Democratic Party will try to have Joe run again because they don't want it to go to a primary. I don't I don't agree with you. I think that and the scuttlebutt that I get, well, who knows? Oh, please. So what are you hearing? I'm not sure that everyone in the corporatist elite would prefer that he run again. Okay. so He there... would have a very different uh, race against Trump next time. I mean, he only lost, in many ways, you know, a large factor involved in his losing last time was COVID. In Trump's losing last time, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he won't be able to claim that he's done much better. Right. So uh, I agree that Joe eked out a win. Uh, and would struggle to win again. And it sounds like people are seeing that. So it sounds like the Democratic Party is casting about for the next person up. It also sounds like they're not enthusiastic about Kamala. Um, uh, Kamala polls five to six points worse than Joe. Um, So there has to be some kind of elegant way to go around um, the, the natural thing, which would be to say, well, look, vice president, you know, next next person up. Um, and so they will want someone like Peter Amy. Yeah, who, Peter who Amy. Who, who they're on board with. Yeah. Um, now, one of the interesting things is that if it is that process, mm-hmm. then you can't just anoint that person because there has to be a primary. Um, so let's say there is a primary. Joe doesn't run. Uh, Kamala probably does not stand down. She probably runs unless they, I don't know what the heck they could convey to her where it's like, don't run for president, even though <laughs> at this point you would have been vice president for several years. So you're, you're suggesting there will be a Democratic primary and it will be Kamala, Pete, Amy, and then figures TBD. But at that point, then it's relatively open. And so you could wind up with a whole set of figures. And in that case, then there are debates for sure. Then there are debates for sure. The elite corporatist element at top would still try to suppress any progressive or progressives 
And then the question would be whether a progressive who was able to mount mount the argument. You know, to me, it's not about who. To me, it's about what. And the what is the articulation of the political possibilities and the political agenda that matches the deeper yearning of the American people at this time and the deeper needs, particularly of the working class. It's the what. To me, the question in my mind right now, it's not the who, it's the what. And then you say, well, who, who best to do it? But it's the what. That what is, the, is what they want to suppress. That what, if done by the right person with the right campaign, would garner the excitement of the American people. Then the question is, when the DNC tries to suppress that person, will that person have the gumption? Will that person have the courage? Will that person have the power to say, oh, I'm still running for president. I'm just not running with you guys. Well, they could just join the forward party. If the forward party is still available at that time. Well, because the timing of it would be that the um, Democratic primaries Get resolved. Well, it, our, our the forward party primaries would probably be contemporaneous. You're right. So you know, it would be whether they can jump in if they've already. Yeah, but the I was thinking about that process. the other day because I, I've gone through some of these scenarios in my head. So I was saying to somebody the other day, if a person runs as a Democrat and then does the scenario that we just said, which is to, to hell with you, you're you're shutting me down, but the American people are lifting me up. So I'm going to go over there. Wouldn't a lot of the activists um, grassroots up. people with a forward party who've been there from the beginning say, oh, right, now you want us. I mean, I could just see all that kind of stuff. Well, this is a pretty good argument for not making it uh, contemporaneous and maybe just starting the forward party primary a little later. There are many <laughs> if, ways this if, could go. Uh, because the, the calendar, the political calendar is made up. Um, so <laughs> you have the uh, general elections in November, the um, Presidential debates occur typically pretty close up to that date, September, October. So the forward party nominee just needs to be settled, uh, you know, sometime in the summer, really. And that, that's when the two majors have their conventions. Mm -hmm. So there could be a fascinating forward party convention in 24 that you just need to have decided who your person is. Um, or you could decide at the convention, like old school. Well, do you think that you'll be doing... <laughs> yeah. Recently, is like... 100 years ago with guys chomping on cigars in the back room deciding who they want. I mean, that's what happened um, in 16 and in 20. But let me ask you this. Are you going to be doing primaries in, yeah, in Iowa and Nevada? And So the, the uh, argument for doing primaries in um, the same states mm -hmm. is that the press is there. It's a process people understand. Uh, mm -hmm. Like th th There's no requirement. Uh, you could do something in different states. You could do multiple states at once. You could, you know, you can do a lot of different things. Um, the, the media angle would be that you decide to follow the calendar because mm -hmm. you figure the reports are in. Right. Reporters are in Iowa, New Hampshire anyway, covering, right. you know, one Good or the point. other. So then they, they could just be like, well, I'm here. Might as well see the, the forward party event. You know, I have said many times and i feel it strongly, what I got from running, and I think this drives a little with your book, uh, a lot with your book, the system was even more corrupt than I knew, but people were even more wonderful than I hoped for. And I don't know about you, I assume you, you, you feel the same way. I was so impressed by the voters in those primary states. Yeah, me too. They took their role so seriously. They were so knowledgeable about the issues. Um, they knew that their vote could affect 
the world. They would kick the tires in a really good way because it made you a better candidate to always be asked about the issues, even though the press, the press was reporting on, I mean, it was two different universes for me. It was two parallel universes. There was the exhilarating experience of being with voters who really were down for a serious conversation about the um, issues and then the press and it's what it was doing. Two different worlds. And so one was exhilarating, one was brutal. But within the world of that which was exhilarating, i.e. really talking to voters, it only made me believe more strongly in the opportunities of democracy, in the possibility of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and a greater commitment in my life to do whatever oh, I can. That's beautiful. So when you, you say that the, there was even more corruption in the system than you, uh, than you thought possible, are you referring to the media, the Democratic Party, or both? Well, clearly in my case, it was, you know, after the second debate, somebody clearly said, get her off the stage. And within three days, you couldn't pick up a newspaper or a, your computer or watch television that I wasn't crazy and dangerous. I thought you shined in that debate. I thought you won that thing. That well, really that's why they did it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really... They knew that I was getting my sea legs in the second one. And by the third one, I think it would have been a major inconvenience. The corruption of the system around that, uh, I agree with you about. Like, there, there's certainly, like, a media relationship with the party where it's like, okay, like, let, let's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're in lockstep. And it's if, if you are the object you know, of that decision to ridicule, you see how it works. I mean, it's almost fascinating. Boy. Well, you have to be a very strong person to walk through that. Yeah, well, you have to have a strategy for walking through it, and I didn't. Well, so one of the things I uh, admire so much about you is that you are a very spiritual person. Like, you know, it's like you're, you're not someone whose uh, sense of self is secondhand. You've got a much deeper relationship with both the world and, and your own values, it must have been infuriating. It was infuriating, and I also took some advice that I regret taking, which is don't speak to it because that will bring attention to it. But if you're running for president, the attention is on it. And I wish that every time one of those ridiculous articles was written that I had gotten on Facebook Live the next day to say what's really going on here. But I, I also don't. You know, I don't want to be a person with a chip on my shoulder or anything like that. I think, you know, I'm 100% responsible for my experience, et cetera. So I want to come at everything I just said from a descriptive place, not from a resentful place, you know, because no matter what people do to you, the issue is who you are in the space of what they do and how do you transform that energy to make it something wonderful now. And I think that that's what, people, what, we, what we all love about you. Forward. Forward. Like, you know, let's... And especially now, and also, if, if you can't rise above your own personal past challenges, how can you be a leader in um, helping a country to emerge from its past? And that's that positivity. You know, we need a, a blend of the positivity that you represent and a very serious and sober analysis of the problems that confront us. And my sense of the American people, voters, talking to voters, is that People are smart. You know, I, I have a whole career, decades, um, very up close and personal with people who just got bad news. Wow. Um, the test came back and it's cancer. Um, you, the, your only choice is to go bankrupt. 
your spouse is leaving you and you didn't even expect it. And what I have seen over and over and over again is that sometimes when people get the really bad news, that's when they become the most intelligent. I've watched people who just received the bad news from the doctor, and in the first five minutes, so much unimportant, ultimately unimportant information and, and just stuff that fills your mind just falls away, and you get very serious. And that's not when you get stupid. That's when you say to the doctor, tell me. Tell me everything and tell me what we need to do. And so sometimes it's when people are as serious as we all need to be now. You know, a lot of times politicians would say, don't tell people the bad news because it will depress them, which is in, has infantilized the American public. The American public are seeing the bad news now. Yeah, we're yeah. living versions And of it. we need somebody who's not trying to uh, whitewash any of that, pour pink paint over it, be very clear about it so that we can all be sober about it, mature about it, courageous about it, and talk with faith and positivity about how we're going to turn this thing around. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I love building the forward party because it it's natural for me. Uh, no, I'm an entrepreneur and um, someone who is very comfortable with the early stages of an organization and seeing it grow is a joy. It's a little bit like being a parent. You're a parent, but when, when you know when you see your child start to do yeah, things, I've, you're like, yeah. <laughs> I've started organizations and nonprofits, and it is like parenting. Uh, it is like parenting. Yeah, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it, it's lovely. Uh, and the fact that so many people are at least curious about the forward party, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the test is for us to execute and build up and demonstrate that we can have a positive role in various races in 22, and then maybe sky's the limit in 24. So you just uh, projected forward uh, based upon some conversations, and you live in, in D.C., right? Yeah. Um, so based upon some conversations that we may have uh, uh, an open-ish Democratic primary to look forward to with Kamala, Pete, Amy as the three most conspicuous figures um, that are top of mind. When you made that list, and I'm friends or friendly with each of those people um, from the presidential, um, I think that Trump would beat any of them. Absolutely. The Barbie and Kendall version of politician is not going to beat Donald Trump next time. I agree. And unfortunately, we live in a world where like what I just said is like a political statement where, you know, you're not allowed to give your opinion about like a, you know, like a particular contest and someone will be like, oh, it's because you this. It's like I just believe that Trump would uh, would win. That's my backdrop for, OK, like, you know, we probably should be thinking differently or thinking a little bit bigger. If you imagine an openish Democratic primary, uh, it seems that there really should be some more people inserting themselves into that race. <laughs> I would think there would be if yeah, there is yeah. an open. If there's an open one and uh, the president is not running again, I would think that there, you will have a lot more Democrats 
running. Wow, it would be. But I would think that the elite will still be putting their money uh, behind uh, um, Pete and Amy, although they can't be that stupid to think that the same old, same old is going to beat Trump next time. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's one reason why I, I thought that they would return to Joe, though you're hearing different. Um, Joe would be 82 and 24, so that that's you know a factor. Uh, I think um, I know many voters regarded Joe as a bridge candidate in 2020. And but so he told he said publicly he saw himself as a bridge candidate to Pete Buttigieg. He actually said that I see my job. My role, he said, is to create a space for leadership, Pete Buttigieg's leadership within the Democratic Party. Uh, wow, because I thought that when he referred to himself as a bridge candidate, he was standing next to Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. Um, maybe them. I'm sure Cory ran last time. Maybe he'll run next time, probably. Cory probably would run again. If, that, if, if it was open, yeah. If it was open. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that would be fascinating. And you're suggesting that someone... What's fascinating about it? Corey's a lovely man. I'm not, this is not personal, but it's very stale to me, the whole conversation, not the people, but the conversation that we would be having, which would be the, the Democrats do what they can to address on the periphery the suffering of tens of millions of people in this country, but they still refuse to address the underlying forces, mainly corporate forces that make all that suffering inevitable. And I don't think people are going to buy it this time. I think that anyone who feels like the establishment would lose to Trump. Yeah. Uh, I think the establishment has not been having, uh, let's say, glory days. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and I mean, COVID, COVID has made a lot of people question a lot of things. Uh, it's also made people distressed, angry, hostile. Uh, and in that environment, it's hard to be the establishment, uh, you know, and, and come and say, hey, you know, more of this. Like, well, it's just a very difficult case. Uh, unless you are, you know, look at the things that Biden could be doing. Even with, you know, everybody talks about Manchin and cinema. Look at all the things he could be doing just with the power of the presidency. He could be declaring a national medical emergency, giving himself the power to expand Medicare to everyone. He could be canceling the college loan debt. He could be, uh, he, he could be legalizing marijuana. He could be actively supporting uh, a, at least a $15 an hour minimum wage, even beyond federal workers. He could be actively supporting the PRO Act. He could be, you know, there is so much that the president could be doing to make a stand for the rights of the American people and the security of the American people. I think we have to rethink money. I think we have to see money not just in terms of the mechanistic data, but in terms of what it does to people, not only economically, but emotionally and psychologically, to live at the effect of chronic economic trauma. People are like, people cannot breathe. You and I know this, you know, we've both had the joy as well as the success of entrepreneurial endeavors. We need a capital we, we were supported by capital. We were supported by education. We were supported by people who love us. If we had been stuck in these survival modes of having to work every day and jobs that we hated just in order to pay for college loans that we had taken out in order to pursue the career we really wanted, but then even when we got the education, we couldn't pursue the career we really wanted because if we did that, we wouldn't have benefits like health care, so we have to continue working at these terrible jobs in order to pay those college loans 
deaths. And we're talking about 44 million Americans. We're talking about 40 million Americans who even before the pandemic could not absorb a four or $500 unexpected expenditure. We're talking about tens of millions of people who were in poverty before the pandemic and millions more who have dropped into it. We're talking about people who have no chance of a decent education. We're talking about millions of Americans who by the age of 10 have already so far dropped behind. And I know that this is something you tried to address as, as a mayoral candidate in New York. These kids who have dropped so far behind by the time they're 10 years old that they have more of a chance of landing in prison someday than of ever graduating from high school. We, we need to discuss these things. These are dark underbellies of the shadow form of, of, of unfettered capitalism that is now holding tens of millions of people in such, in such survival and in such trauma. And what's going to happen is that the person at the MAGA rally and the person at the union protests are going to start looking at each other and going, you know what, we're being suppressed by the same forces. We're being oppressed by the same forces. The exploitation of the worker, the exploitation of the average American in service to this monarchical, neo-monarchy, neo-aristocratic system. That, to me, is the conversation that matters. And, I, you know, we make it about the horse race. but Well, when well I, I think if those two workers were to look at each other and say, hey, we're, we're getting uh, it's screwed by the us, same people and the same the forces. Same people, they wind up in the forward party. They would. But how that I, I would agree with you, given given the way the Democratic Party is now constituted, that the institutional resistance to really standing for the working people of America is so great within the Democratic Party. Going straight to the forward party carries the questions, the challenges that you know very well. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, don't, I think I'm one of millions of people in, in the United States who really hope you're going to be able to pull this off. Oh, well, thank you, Marianne. But that's not to say, you know, that's not, you know, we don't, everybody's like, oh, how a third party is, is perceived. But I think we're looking very closely. I, I think that millions of us are looking It's intrigue. Very it's curiosity. No, I get yeah, it. And if, yeah, if yeah. We, and if we execute well. Yes, then, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Completely. I, I'm yeah. so excited about it. Um, so when I, you're right that. There is something uh, of a distraction element if you look at the horse race. Uh, I think your characterization of the parties as nosedive, Republican Versus Party, Manager Klein, Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party is almost constitutionally wired to make it the party of managed decline. Like it's going to be very hard for it to become like Because the, of the suppression of the real progressive candidates? Because of the corporate uh, control uh, of much of it and that the candidates that... Uh, that end up in it's office so will have very, very limited appetite for like the big wholesale sweeping changes. It's so ironic because the Republican Party stands for the more elitist policies, but they have an ironically more egalitarian relationship to their own constituency. Yep. The Democrats stand for more egalitarian policies, but ironically a more elitist relationship to their own constituency. Oh, yeah. They, it, it's like if, you have to audition to get in. Oh, yeah. If the people get behind <laughs> someone, they're like, no, 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 that's not what you want. That's not what you want. Yeah. I know the Republican Party for they have massive, massive problems. They don't even have a policy platform. Last I checked, but they let the voters decide. And if the voters decide on a crazy person, they're like, well, guess crazy person. Uh, you know, it well, would, some of them are not happy with how that turned out. You know, their own divide is as interesting as the Democratic Party divide. Yeah, the, the Republican Party. And this is one reason why, in my view, 
we have to break up the duopoly as quickly as possible is you have a lot of, I'm sure, very sane Republicans is looking up being like, well, you know, like, don't like what's going on, but if I want to keep my job, keep my career, in some cases, avoid death threats, you know, like, I'll just keep my head down and go along with this. I'm friendly with some of the Republican members of Congress who made the decision to impeach Trump. Their lives got turned upside down. And then they and knew threatened it. in some cases. Yeah, threatened. They had to like, more than... When I say upside down, I mean they had to go into hiding. They're like threats against them and their family, the whole thing. And then they had colleagues who saw the same thing playing out and were like, pass. Mm-hmm. You know? And then and you look at them and you say, can you blame them? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I, I think we should truly be elevating uh, the Adam Kinzingers and the Peter Myers and like the brave souls who decided, look, like I think this is the right thing to do. They have not been properly uh, protected or recognized, uh, in my opinion. Well, I do wonder sometimes what's going on behind the scenes in terms of police protection of some of these obviously at-risk lawmakers. But at this point, it's not just lawmakers who are threatened, just election officials on state level, yeah. people who count the votes. Now, we have very a very um, a serious problem with fringe elements who represent genuine Nazi and fascist elements, but this was all made possible because we haven't been harnessing the real dignity and decency and intelligence of the American people because neither the Democrats nor the Republicans really saw their power lying in doing so. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I, I agree with your characterization of nosedive, managed decline, and then, you know, need something uh, new or a different approach. But people sometimes ask me, it's like, oh, do you think the, you know, like, do you think the Democratic Party's issues are the same or equivalent to the Republican Party's issues? This is something where the, the Democrats get very upset, where if you say, hey, you guys have problems, be like, oh, but our problems are not nearly as and bad that- or, as the other side's. And then, uh, and I, I would say, though I never have this conversation because you know they don't, they're not interested in the conversation. But 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 it's that look, I don't think your problems are the same as the Republican parties. They're very different. Like they, these problems are asymmetrical, but you do have problems. It's a very immature level of conversation. It's like if I was, you know, when I counsel people and they will say, well, 90% of it is their problem. And I'll say, well, we have to address the 10% of it that's yours. It's very infantile the way we can't talk about our problems. We're only going to talk about the other guy's problems. On a level of personal growth, that's uh, so immature and unevolved. And on the level of organizational growth or uh, systems growth, it's also infantile and unevolved. And the Democratic Party, as long as you can't in any way criticize the Democratic Party, you're seen as an enemy of the Democratic Party. If you criticize the Democratic Party, like you're saying, then number one, the Democratic Party will not change. The Democratic Party will lose to the Trumps and the neo-Trumps, and more and more Americans will feel politically homeless. If, if there was a straight line to you, th- you'd say, well, okay, that's simple enough, but it's 
what I just said doesn't make the path simple. And that's why, once again, and I mean it, um, I mean it when I say this, um, how you guide this ship is going to be really important, and I really wish you well. Well, thank you, Marianne. We're going to do our best. Uh, I have a sense of urgency because I think the next three years are going to be crucial. Mm -hmm. uh, talking to you is uplifting because I sense that you're going to have a role to play in 24, which is very exciting. This image of a Democratic primary leading into 24 is interesting to me because I will say, like, I, I didn't think there was going to be a genuine primary. I thought they'd just be like, look, clear the decks, give it. Uh, uh, but they can't clear the decks for anyone that's not Joe. Um, so you're going to have a genuine process, um, which does raise some opportunities for, let's say, a Marianne Williamson or someone else to, to run. Um, to the extent that I'm focused on 24, it is around a third party primary, which I think would be so fun and invigorating and fascinating and genuinely open. And, and possibly all sorts of more interesting. We'll see. And possibly a lot more interesting. I mean, That's... you're going to have Trump wrecking people on one side, like Dems, you know, I, I suppose duking it out. But you'll be like, oh, you know, you know, We've it's going to be before. like, yeah, like it's going to be one of like a couple of candidates and, you know, they're, they're going to be uh more of the same in, in some fundamental ways. And, and I think this appetite for change the American people have been, um, you know, manifesting or, you know, like signaling they want. I think if you had, so I, I'm, I'm the numbers guy, the math guy. Um, so the things I, I described to people, look, Ross Perot got 19.3% of the vote as a third-party candidate in 1992. You which really was are more, the math guy. Which was a more trusting Not time. everybody walks around knowing what percentage of the vote uh, Ross Perot oh, got, God. but in, please in 92. go on. Oh, yeah, sure. And, by the way, <laughs> Ross Perot suspended his campaign briefly before unsuspending. I remember that. So if he just go on the whole way, he gets higher than 19.3. Yeah. But let's just say, let's okay. just take 19.3. Mm -hmm. um, then you have uh, Mark Cuban in 2020 who polled himself <laughs> at 25%. Wow. 44% of Americans describe themselves as, as independents. 62% want to move on from the duopoly. Um, if you have Trump and, let's say, uh, you know, Pete or Amy or Kamala, um, I think that a strong independent or third-party candidate walks around with 15 to 20% pretty straightforwardly if they have the resources and get the message out and, you know, people. Though in this day of... Uh, Independent media, I, I think it would it, you. This person would get energy because there would be a lot of Americans who are looking up, saying like, I, "I'm really not that excited about these two options." Um, if it were Joe, which was my original projection, um, over fifty percent of Americans don't want Joe to run again. Over fifty percent of Americans don't want Trump to run again. So you'd you'd have like this massive group of Americans looking for a real choice. And so if you presented them a choice that they thought was competitive and credible and had good people around them, um, I think they start out in the 15 to 20% range, maybe higher. Um, and then can they go from 20% to 25%, 28%, 30%? If it's the right person, I think so. I, I think there are a ton of Americans who just wanted to, like, uh, just wanna try and reset the system. And it's going to be almost impossible for one of the establishment Dems to be like, you know, who's going to reset the system? Me, because, you know, I've, I've got a slightly different identity than the last person who filled it. The, you know, it, it's just a really weak case. I think a lot has changed in the last year and a lot more will change over the next year. Uh, my friend said the other day, people thought Trump was the wake up call. As it turns out, 
Biden was the wake-up call, the wake-up call to the fact that certain things don't change no matter who is in power. This stuff started, this massive transfer of wealth and opportunity started with a Republican president. No Democratic president has stopped it. The duopoly uh, represents that massive transfer, even though one yes is much worse than the other. It reminds me of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, you start by saying, oh, I can manage it. And we've been saying for years, can the Republicans manage the, manage the problem? Can the Democrats manage the problem? Can the Republicans manage the problem? Can the Democrats? And people are finally saying it can't be managed. It, it's unmanageable. The system itself has got to be interrupted on such a on such a on such a level. There must be an intervention. And the question, and this is where leadership comes in, um, there is going to be. You know, I I feel in sixteen, um, there was such a populist cry of despair. And it was going to express itself. It was either going to express itself through a progressive populist like Bernie or a, an authoritarian populist by, like, um, uh, like Trump. And as you have pointed out, as many have pointed out, the DNC kept the progressive populist from being able to carry the banner. That's why I think he would have won in 2016. I think you would have won. At this point, we have reached a stage already where on an emotional and psychological level, we are already in a civil war condition. And people need to read up about the French Revolution. People need to read up about the revolutions in the world over the last um, couple of centuries. And if they do, they realize that the masses are closer to the gates of the Bastille than they might think. There is going to be, there's going to be a revolution. The question, is it going to be a peaceful revolution or a violent revolution? JFK said those who make a peaceful revolution impossible make a violent revolution inevitable. So those who are trying to suppress the genuine progressive populist fervor within the Democratic Party are obstructing the path of a peaceful revolution. And that, to me, is the question. We need guides. That's what the political leader today should be. We're going to make these changes because we've got to make drastic economic changes. We've got to, like FDR said, people will not stand by while the things that they should be given are being denied to them year after year after year. They will not stand by. We must make, even if, as FDR said, through drastic measures, we must right this ship where a certain kind of crony, unfettered, unregulated capitalism now acts like a constant suppressant on the health and the well-being and the safety and security of the average American. And we need to guide that change. The change will happen. Either it will explode in very violent ways or it will come about through wise leadership. And we need to develop not only the constituency, which I think is already there to be harnessed, but the leadership. Um, and hopefully you and I and, what, and other people in whatever ways uh, we can will be part of that. Uh, well, I pledge to you that if you do run uh, in the forward party process, we'll be much nicer to you than the, than the DNC was. <laughs> You've always been nice to me. I remember the day you and I met here in New York City. Um, I love you. A lot of people do. Oh, thank you, Marianne. I love you, too. I want to follow up on what you just suggested about either the violent revolution or the peaceful revolution. I made a similar case in 2020 when I was running. I was like, hey, guys, like we have to get our acts together or else, like, you know, yeah, like it, it, it's going to uh, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get nasty. Um, I'm going I'm going to say something maybe rough, but uh, I think we're past that point. 
Um, I, I think it's going to get rough and nasty and violent. Uh, and it's probably happening in this next cycle in, in 24. Uh, I wish I felt differently, but it's just, the, you know, it happens to be the way I feel. I think we're getting set up for this. Um, the When you say we already have these conditions, agree. Um, you know, where you talked about the damage that the country had undergone back when you and I were running for president, and that was before COVID and the rest of it. Like now we've gotten just completely. Yeah, a lot's changed. It's gotten, it's gotten worse. And at the same time, largely because it's gotten worse, there's been more of an awakening. And you see some positive signs too. Look at the emergence of the labor, the labor movement this year. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary what's happening. Starbucks, Kellogg, Nabisco, John Deere, um, Amazon, some, some really good things are happening. People are waking up. Certainly more and more people are continuing to awaken about the within the environmental movement, the problem is the government does not respond to the awakening of the people. I know when Bernie was out, I think it was at the Kellogg with the Kellogg workers, and he wrote, he read a letter from Biden, and Biden said, keep the faith. Biden should have been out there on the street with those striking workers. Keep the faith. Well, we're, You're we're, the president. Do something. We're in an age now, Marianne, where it's like, hey, if I make the appropriate statement or gesture, then that is my job. It's performative. Yeah. Uh, and um, th there are, are a number of Americans who are just totally sick of it. So yeah. one thing I, I wanted to follow up on too on this is that when you look at the presentation of like, hey, get let's get our shit together or else there will be civil war. Um, you know who agrees with that? A lot of conservatives. Um, oh, yeah. uh, in, in large part, because a lot of conservatives, for better, or for worse, have this framing of like, you know, that, that there's like the oppression and we have to rise against the oppressors and the media is part of the oppressors and like all, all the stuff. It's like, you know, and, and if you say, hey, civil war, folks on on certainly in the establishment would be like, don't be alarmist, uh, you know, like, <laughs> except like, the alarms are already on. Yeah, no, They're no. telling us not to be alarmist, but the alarms are already ringing. Yeah. At this point now, <laughs> it, it, now that there is this waking up you're describing where if you say, hey, we're going to degenerate into civil war, strike violence, et cetera. Now, people who are in the establishment and people who are, you know, Democrats and whatnot will look at it now and say like, yeah, yeah, that that's a, a real concern in a way before that they would not. And one of the reasons I think that they didn't want to talk about it is because there's this sense that, well, if I talk about it, then it becomes more likely to happen. Or it's it, like, it gets it's like magical a, thinking. It's ridiculous. And, you know, people would say you're being negative. And I've always yes. said, you know, if the house is burning, yelling fire is not, is negative. not negative. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And also, once again, going back to, you know, I've worked so much up and close and personal with people in trouble. When you're in trouble, you have to talk about it. You can't deny it. You have to you have to talk about it. You have to process it. So before the, the camera started rolling, um, you and I talked a little bit about like these two paths, these two projects, which is one, make the changes from within the Democratic Party. Number two, start a new party and uh, give rise to this new popular movement. Um, and the relative chances of each of them working, um, and then how we'd have our best use. Uh, like, uh, and people ask me all the time, hey, you're going to run for president? And I honestly say, you know, like, I'll do whatever I think will be most useful. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you see ahead for you over this next several years? Uh, um, you could say the same thing I said, which is like, look, I'll do whatever I think the most useful thing is. Um, Certainly, I would love to enlist you for this project, like the, you know. Well, I do feel what you feel. I do feel I want to do whatever 
would serve best. I think each of us you seek to find what role would be best for me that I would be the gr of greatest use and least in the way. <laughs> Some people would say, go away, that would be the way you'd be in least in the way. I'm not going away. But where I do go, uh, I know very smart people um, who are having this conversation. Um, I know very smart people. I know many of your, your people watching right now and listening are sitting with this question in their heart. And I think, and I, I said this earlier on the program, I think that this year for myself and for many of us, answers will be getting more clear. Someone said something to me the other day that blew my mind, Marianne, but it was a true fact. They said early 2019 was three years ago. <laughs> it's really, it's so extraordinary how much has happened. And I think a lot's gonna happen this coming year. It's gonna um, be a big year. and. Uh, I know you're going to be a huge part of it. Marianne, uh, not the last time you and I sit down together or break bread together. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you.